0: Back. We back in this bitch. Another podcast for that ass. Another grito. Say dicho. Coming about two weeks now since my previous podcast. I meant to get one out to you all last week. But um, yeah, I was still recovering from the fucking COVID hangover, bro. And uh, while the material that I was able to drop for the, the week that I actually had COVID was already prepared... I didn't have fucking I didn't have a podcast prepared for the for last week and I and I considered briefly just fucking jumping on this bitch and you know fucking going off the cuff like back in the day when I first started this motherfucker, but I said nah homie, y'all motherfuckers are investing your time and your energy into listening to uh, listening to this shit. So the very least that I could do is prepare a fucking product that is worth your fucking time and energy. You know what I mean? So I said, let's just fucking pump the brakes and we'll come back to it in about two In, in, in next Sunday, next Sunday is Sunday today. For those of you, whenever it is that you're listening to it, today for me is the 23rd of January, right? Um, so anyways, what's well, good? It's good to be back. It's good to uh, uh, be just... Dropping this podcast shit, dog. I hope uh, you're enjoying it as much as I am. And if not, I hope, like I have said, plenty of times that inevitably you do find a podcast or anything in life, really, that will bring you the joy and satisfaction that is inherent just with being a human being, the kind of shit that is possible just with, you know, being a human being. And uh, I know this might sound fucking grandiose, I guess, is one way to put it. But uh, I guess... I'm not trying to sound overtly, gratuitously fucking, like, uh, just grandiose, okay? It's actually in line with the material that I'm going to be discussing today with the podcast, all right? Um, Before I get into it, though, let's just get the semantics out the way. You already know the deal on the socials, OG underscore Ice Nice 13 on the gram, and something along the same lines on the other socials, even though I don't really use them. But, you know, if I do get fucking zucked off the gram, which, you know, is an always ever-present threat, you'll know where to find me. Uh, Speaking of the gram, you can also find me on the backup, you know, I don't use it, but it's there, nice 13 in case the og underscore ice nice 13 gets zucked, right? And um, yeah, so that's for those of y'all who are tuning in just from the fucking podcast itself. For those of you who are actually tuning in from the socials, what's good, fam, right? Uh, I see you, I see all you motherfuckers, irrespective of how you're tuning into this motherfucker, and I'll just let you know that, again, as always, I appreciate the fuck out of it, Okay. So with that said, let's just get straight to it, homie, because I got a lot of shit that I want to talk about today, right? And I want to be mindful of your time regardless. And uh, I guess the best place to pick it up is (laughs) on what it was that I was discussing before I got through the whole fucking semantics, and that is the seemingly gratuitous nature of my fucking little monologue about how dope life can potentially be. And uh, the reason why I started with that is because I I, I know I talk a lot of shit, dog, about how life can be meaningless, right? But... I hope truly, if you've under if you've been listening to this podcast long enough that you understand that realistically, dog, that's really that's nothing more than my gallows humor, okay? Uh especially like on the gram. You know, for those of you who do follow on the socials, when I'm posting those fucking memes, bro, it's tongue in cheek, homie. Like it's fucking, at least, you know, for me it is. I'm sure there are other people out there who, you know, maybe some of them are fucking, you know, they're serious about it. But I'm 10 times out of nine, dog, I would say that the people who post that kind of shit on socials, myself included. It's tongue-in-cheek, homie. You know what I mean? It's meant to just be a way to fucking deal with the pressure of the seeming, seeming, I say seeming because it's like a Western thing, right? But the seeming absurdity of existence and, uh, you know, having a good laugh at it, it fucking never hurt nobody, dog. So, you know, again, I, you know, I hope that by this point you understand that at least and if not, I'm trying to make it a point to let it be known that it's mostly just my gallows humor, dog. That's not to say that I'm always feeling 100%, that I'm always in a chipper-ass attitude. Of course not, dog. We all go through our fucking moments. You know what I mean? ups and downs and I'm no fucking exception and I'm okay with that you know what I'm saying? so like sometimes it is like damn this month this shit sucks you know what I mean I'm not always in that fucking in that space where I think of it like as a fucking treasure and all that kind of stuff but even in the most fucking gloomiest and fucking desperate of places that I you know can you know we all can potentially find ourselves in I still find a little bit of hope and fucking promise and meaning and all that kind of shit you know what I mean and the gallows humor is undoubtedly what helps pull me out of that fucking (laughs) out of that space you know what I mean and that is, you know, I'm thankful for that because in reality, I do think that life is a treasure, dog. The likes of which, you know, I don't, me personally, I don't have the ability to capture and commit to paper or to spoken word, in such a way that would ever truly do it. Uh, that would ever truly do it justice. You know what I mean? You have these great existential philosophers, chief among which, like, written word. You know, I would put Nézahualcóyotl of the, you know, the Mexica tradition up there, or the Nawa tradition, I should say. And I would put fucking Kierkegaard up there in the Western tradition, They're just beautiful fucking poets and artists, writers, you know what I mean? That uh, have an a, an amazing talent of being able to capture the essence of existence here on Tlalpik And I'm not one of them, you know what I mean? Uh, but it doesn't mean that I don't fucking feel that, that I don't feel that passion nonetheless, homie. <clears throat> and, um... So what I'm trying to say is like, I'll never be able to do it, uh, capture it in such a way that'll do it justice. You know what I mean? However, uh, at the same time, I do understand also, like I said earlier, that life is suffering, homie. And moreover, that it's a constant battle, if you will. It's a constant, you know, at this point, I, you know, I made it perfectly clear. So I'm just going to you know, skim through this idea quickly. And that is that it's a, a constant battle against specifically the suffering. Right, the suffering of life. This is like the fucking one of the four noble truths in the Buddhist tradition. Life is suffering. You just gotta accept that shit. You know what I mean? And learning to fucking uh, uh, rebel, if you will, to use the Camusian language, is part of the fucking meaning, at least that I found in life. You know what I mean? And this, you know, suffering. It takes, the, it takes the shape of many different forms, dog. Whether it be oppression, injustice, or simply something in our own mind, like our own mind is fucking causing us suffering. It's the oppression of our of our negative thoughts of. The evils, if you will, in our own mind, you know what I mean, so I guess in that respect, that's kind of when I talk about like being a warrior, again, just picking up on the Nahwa tradition of philosophy, that's kind of what I mean when I say that I'm a warrior in life, okay, not because I've ever tra- not because I've ever fucking had to kill people necessarily in order to defend a homeland or something that like we've uh, typically associated with what a warrior is. But rather, because I prepare every day uh, to battle against the suffering of life itself. You know, because again, I truly do believe that fighting for it, the value of life, you know, life and the value thereof, is what makes it worth living, homie. Right? Now, what this comes on is the, this comes on the, you know, the heels of the pit of nihilistic despair that I was engulfed with, engulfed in rather, back in the day, you know, when I reached the point that the end point, I should say, the zenith of Western Christian epistemology, right? I've talked about this before at length, and I'm just going to skim through it here briefly just to set the foundation for this particular episode. So, you know, on pain of reiteration, it's the whole death of God shit, dog, and the ensuing nihilism that arises because of it. And, you know, I talked about how for the longest time, I let this reason, I let this rather be reason enough to not feel the need to do anything, essentially, you know, <laughs> doing myself and my desires in life to this fatalistic Western reductive Christian outlook, Right and assume that this was, in fact, the end of the journey. So if you think about it in terms of, like, game theory, Doug, there's only one potentiality that you can arise to when it comes to this Western Christian epistemology, and that is reductive materialism, which ultimately ends with the fucking pit of nihilistic despair. The other alternative, of course, is just to accept Christianity, but, you know, that's philosophical suicide, bro. That's what Camus tells us. It's philosophical suicide, to just accept some given answer in the world to take away the seeming suffering Inherent when you come to this inevitable conclusion, which comforting though it may be for some people, for those of us who are philosophically inclined, it's akin to philosophical suicide because you're just killing essentially all desire to question any further for the fake for the sake rather of feeling some sort of comfort, irrespective of how fake it may be. Right, so that's that's not an option, Doc. So when you think about it in terms of the of the game theory, those are the, you know those are the two options that you get to. You can either commit philosophical suicide. Or you can allow yourself to be enmeshed in this pit of nihilistic despair because of, you know, the reductive Western materialism, right? And uh, there's an, that's an inevitability. That's the end point when it comes to Western Christianity. And I got there around my, you know, my mid-20s and, and by the time I was 30 for sure, right? And I remember thinking to myself like, damn, this is really it, huh? There's really nothing more to life than this reductive materialistic world. That shit is whack, yo. You know, and of course from there is where all the questioning about the meaning of life and the purpose of continuing it, that's where there arises from. Now, to be fair, I'd gotten to that point long before, but for different reasons, you know what I mean? But now you get to it for a complete other reason, and that is the, the seeming lack of meaning and purpose in life, you know what I mean? Something that really fucking eats at motherfuckers like myself, you know, going through it at the moment, just thinking about my place on Atlantic Park, the meaning of my work and what I'm doing, you know what I mean, and all that kind of shit. <clears throat> and of course, you know, it's from here where all the questions about the meaning of life and, you know, again, the purpose of continuing <laughs> where it comes from, dog. So this is specifically where Camus, this is where he made his bread and butter, homie. And as much as I'll forever treasure the impact that he had on my life, I'm at a point now where I realize that he himself, he kind of felt victim to the idea of this was it. You know what I mean? This this idea of the of the of the end of the Western Christian world, a zenith point, if you will. And like Camus, I myself, obviously, I'm sure probably you have too. I, I got to this point, dog. But um, unlike Camus, thankfully for myself, that I had another thing, I had another epistemology to fall, not to be fair, I had another epistemology to fall back on, but so did Camus. All he had to do was fucking look outside of the Western tradition, which obviously many of the Western tradition philosophers, they just don't do, okay? Because they have themselves fallen victim to the idea that the only philosophy is Western Christian philosophy, and then we just kind of use this model, or rather we use this as the justification to uh, to continue along this fucking shitty modality of reality that we've allowed ourselves to be fucking subsumed into we just kind of you know shrug our shoulders and be like well, well this is it we might as well do the best of it to which the idea is like nah, dog it's not it and you know a new better world can be built and that's going to be kind of the idea that we work towards here but for now uh for me i really started to understand the importance of indigenizing okay uh, and more specifically, the importance of letting go of the reductive Western material world that I'd been indoctrinated in and that I felt obligated, if you will, to uphold out of fear specifically of being ostracized, dog, like of being told, you're fucking crazy, bro. Like, get the fuck away from me. You know what I mean? All that typical shit that, you know, existential philosophy and critical theory tell us, like, yeah, you should probably avoid those kind of people anyways because they're just going to drag you down in the end, homie. They're going to strip you of the ability to enjoy this fucking one existence, this one shot, ideally, that we have an existence, we don't believe in it. Now, we don't believe in you know just one shot type shit, and that's Western Christianity. We won't remember how we come back, but we coming back in this bitch, because it's just an inevitability, right? Anyways, um, all I had to do, I started to realize the importance of letting go of this fucking Western Christian world. Dog. It didn't matter if I was going to be ostracized for it, okay? Um, because it's when I started to... <sighs> When you, when you get to this point, uh, the Western reductive world, materialism world, obviously you're going to get to this, this fucking zenith point that I've been talking about. And then you're going to get to the inevitable questions of, is life worth living? What am I doing? Why should I even continue? And so on, right? What's the point of it all? And uh, it's, it's very difficult to escape from that trap, bro. But thankfully for me, uh, I had the indigenous Nahuatl philosophy to rescue me from that, which is why I'm trying to share it with you all too in hopes of being able to do so. Um, specifically, because it was this Nahuatl philosophy that helped me realize. First of all, though, I'm not a nihilist. I'm a fucking Nahuatl, Okay, there's a huge difference between the two, and I'm gonna talk about it here shortly. The second thing that it helped me realize is that my biggest fear was never that my biggest fear was never that life was not worth living or that life did not have any sort of meaning and purpose and value. My biggest fear instead was that life. <sighs> was that life was full of meaning, dog. My biggest fear was that life was full of meaning and that I was afraid of this fact, okay? That I was afraid of the fact that life was full of meaning. And, you know, even more so, I was afraid of the fact that I wasn't doing anything on my behalf to actualize my meaning and purpose here on Tlalq Dik Bak because I had allowed myself to fall victim to this Western reductive world and use that pit of nihilistic despair that it leads to as an excuse to not have to do anything with my life. Because if the sun's going to explode, if I'm going to die and so on, what the fuck is the point of anything, right? Wrong, homie. And it was the Nawa philosophy that helped me realize this, right? Helped me realize, again, I'm not a nihilist, dog. I'm a fucking Nahua, homie. Okay? I come to understand that, you know, <laughs> you know. What, what I'm trying to say is that you know this Nawal philosophy it helped me realize that life it does in fact have meaning and purpose, dog. And that meaning again is to reiterate it's to battle until the fucking until the very end, homie. It's you know to rebel, if you will, to use the the Camusian language. But his idea of rebelling and my idea of battling the Nawal idea of battling they're they're fucking they're very dissimilar in many ways. Okay, so I wouldn't just reduce it to this Camusian understanding because I'm just here fucking dropping Camusian philosophy. I'm not really contributing anything, dog. And that's kind of the point. There's many motherfuckers that you can go out there to listen to their reiteration of Camus. You could read Camus himself, primary source. You know what I mean? So what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to give you Camusian philosophy because my shit is different from Camusian philosophy. It's influenced by Camusian philosophy, but it's fucking different nonetheless, homie. Because again, this Camusian philosophy, um, for better or worse it accepts as its ultimate endpoint the reductive Christian world. And what I'm saying is that, yeah, I got there. You know, Camus helped push me along the way in many instances, okay? But I'm trying to get out, homie. And I honestly don't think Camus got out. I don't think the answer of just rebel against the absurd is a fucking satisfactory conclusion because it it, it leaves a lot, It just there's a lot to be fucking, there's a lot unanswered in this idea of just simply rebelling against the absurd, simply rolling the boulder up and down the hill. Um, Chief among which being, what meaning and purpose are you going to have for rolling up the, for rolling the boulder up the hill, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. What I mean by that specifically is the rolling down the rolling the boulder up and down the hill. It's a metaphor, obviously, right? But if you're just doing the same typical nine to five shit that Camus talks about, and you know the myth of Sisyphus. Realistically there's no meaning and purpose behind that which is why I find that so many people, you know, they 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 make the memes mocking this fucking Camusian character where they say, "Oh, you must imagine Sisyphus happy." Well, of course he's not happy. He's just doing it for no fucking other reason than if you ask me personally, the motherfuckers afraid of dying. You know what I mean? Um so what I'm trying to say is that for for my purposes, like nah, dog, yeah, I don't mind rolling the boulder up and down the hill. But as long as I know what it is and I'm what what the boulder it is that I'm rolling the hill up uh, or what the boulder is rather that I that I am rolling up and down the hill and why it is that I am doing so. You know what I mean? I've mentioned it before, but it bears repeating. I don't mind suffering. I have no problem with suffering. What I do mind is needless suffering, suffering for no fucking reason at all whatsoever, such as. The suffering inherent, We're just working a fucking nine to five meaningless existence stripped of any meaning, pleasure or joy whatsoever. That I do mind. You know what I mean? That's the kind of shit that (laughs) drives me crazy, homie. That drives us crazy, I'm sure. Anyways, um, so when I talk about this fucking battle, I'm not just talking about just mindlessly rolling this boulder up and down the hill, dog. I'm fucking nah, homie. I'm talking about the internal conflict necessary with finding what it is that our own personal boulder is and why it is that we're rolling it up the fucking hill, okay? Not just fucking accepting it as a default and keeping it moving because we're afraid of, you know, what lies on the other side of life. So, you know, the point that I'm trying to get to then is that (laughs) this is a battle. This is a constant battle. It's something that we're going to go through fucking for the entirety of our existence. And the goal is to just not only understand and recognize this, but to treat this fucking reality in such a way where we continue to battle Until, again, we arrive at our final resting place um, in such a way that when we do, we're fucking, we're tired, homie. We're beaten, but, you know, we're never, ever fucking defeated, right? That when we do arrive at this fucking place, that we do so not with fucking fear of death, not with the fear of death or the fear of dying in our hearts, but rather with the acceptance of knowing that we did so as valiantly as we fucking possibly could while we could for as long as we could. And then when the time does come to be at peace with this fact and that, you know, that, uh, uh, that there is no longer any more time to do anything with this fucking fleeting experience of reality, right? There's this great poem by the indigenous chief Tecumseh, right? And I'm going to summarize it. I'm going to summarize it uh, briefly, but the, the basic gist is the goal is that, you know, <laughs> to learn. The goal is, you know, to learn to live a life, right? Uh, that the fear of death can never enter our hearts, you know, to love our lives, to perfect our lives, to beautify all things in life. Uh the goal is to to seek to make our lives long and in the service of other people, yo. So that when it comes time to die, Chief to tells us we will not do so like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death. And that, you know, so that when the time comes, the you know. These people, he tells us, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again, but in a different way this time. The basic just is like, nah, homie, that's not the goal. The goal is to arrive at the complete opposite of that perspective, okay? The goal is to live in such a way that we can sing our song of death, right? And that we can die like a hero going home, homie. And obviously, this is only possible if we, you know, continue to battle, if you will, to the terrible analogy for what it is that is going to make us the hero in our own fucking you know story, if you will. So again, this is one of the you know just to contrast it from the Camusian philosophy. Like I personally feel that it's just it, it's basically hedonism, homie. Like it's a very poetic hedonism in the sense that just you know like enjoy yourself, like live your life. Life doesn't have meaning or purpose. You're okay with that. Just do what do what that will, basically type of shit, right? And this Nahua philosophy is like, nah, dog, you have a purpose and you have a meaning. You have a heart in a face, if you will, just jumping ahead. And you got to find that heart in a face and you got to make both strong so you can manifest your purpose. And, you know, when the time does come for you to meet your demise, you'll do so in a way where you're not afraid. You're just you're content with what it is. OK. So uh, upon realizing all of this shit, it's when I started to understand that the goal for me personally, the goal for me personally was to help spread my hood philosophy, bro in a way that would, you know, hopefully help others the way that it has helped me. And to do so, you know, unrelenting, unrelentingly until my time to return home, right, comes. And that, you know, when it does come, I'm ready to enjoy the rest that I've hopefully earned at that point. Okay. And that I'd be at peace with, at peace rather, with leaving behind my loved ones, right? Leaving behind, uh, leaving them behind, knowing that, you know, their time to rejoin me is going to come inevitably, okay? And until then, it's just it's just their turn, dog. They got to close ranks and continue to battle until, you know, it's their time to join home, to come home as well. Now, part of that, at least for me personally, implied, again, that it meant that I had to break with the Western tradition of philosophy. And that, I, you know, it, it was difficult because not only did I spend my entire life being socialized in this Western Christian world, but as far as the philosophy is concerned... <laughs> I had been trained for basically my entire young life to be that type of philosopher. You know what I mean? It was, this was an interesting realization for me because, I don't know, man. It's just layers to this shit. You know what I mean? There's layers to it. I struggle with mentioning it because of how, this is a little personal, right? But I guess this whole fucking podcast is fucking just personal shit anyways. Who gives a fuck, right? Uh, But the idea was that when I came to this realization, I was honestly a little bit, I was a little bit disappointed, dog. I was like, damn, that's my fucking meaning and purpose in life, bro. I mean, philosophy itself is already fucking like such a, such an esoteric study. It's such a fucking fringe study for many people. You know what I mean? Everyone's a philosopher, dog, when it comes to questioning life. When it comes to studying it, they're like, eh. you know what I mean? I ain't right. Understandably so. I ain't hating. Don't get me twisted. I'm just saying like, it's already such a small subset of the fucking, of the, of the world population. And on top of that, you know, rallying against the Western Christian tradition of philosophy within philosophy is an even fucking smaller subset. So it's just like when I came to this realization, I was kind of a little bit disappointed. Like, damn, that's my meaning and purpose, dog. It seems so infinitesimal. It seems so fucking non important. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it kind of caused like a little bit of a of a of an existential crisis, if you will, right? <laughs> because like everyone else, dog, I'm like everyone else. You know what I mean? I always thought that I was going to grow up and be someone hugely important, if you will, in the unfolding of human affairs. And, you know, while I was initially disappointed when I realized that, uh, actually, you're just going to talk shit about fucking Western philosophy to a very, you know, fringe group of people within an even fringer group of society. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, it, it, it was a little bit tough at first, you know what I mean? But after I started to embrace this and started to embrace this fucking this path that I guess, if you will, that I'm on. That I discovered from, you know, from everything that led up to my life at that point. You know what I mean? I was happy to know that. At least for the very first time in my life, I at least had a fucking meaning and purpose. And perhaps more importantly, it was one that I had discovered entirely on my own. What do I mean by that? As I mentioned before in the previous podcast, it was not something that was given to me by an external entity, which obviously is critically important. Because if it's given to you by an external entity, it can be taken away from you as well. It does not belong to you. It is not yours. You know what I mean? And uh, so with this particular understanding, I was i was actually very happy, despite how fucking marginal my impact will be. You know what I mean? I was happy to know that for the first time ever in my life, I personally had found my meaning, my purpose. It, you know, not my only meaning and purpose, but, you know, that's just, this is what I'm fucking doing now. This is my life here. You know what I mean? It's not going to lead to the fucking grand fucking unfolding and culmination of some, you know culturally significant event but that's okay like it's gonna be enough of an impact where the people that it does that you do share it with hopefully will be you know they'll find some happiness or some sort of peace of mind in you and what it is that you're sharing you know what I mean again I'm trying to sound grandiose but I'm just saying like I'm very cognizant of the fact that uh, uh, you know my shit is not the typical philosophical shit that most people are, are are aware with and you know it's the reason here being is because I feel as though I personally have something to offer that those philosophers don't. So, you know, it's just an acknowledgement and an understanding of his facts, right? Anyways, um, <clears throat> uh, fast forwarding just a little bit, okay? It was the this understanding about this whole point, uh, uh, finally arriving at this, you know, deep introspection of what my purpose was and who I was as a person, right? What my life had been leading up to and where ideally I would like for it to go. Uh, when this happens, of course, uh, I come to the realization that obviously my point, part of it at least, is going to be to help reanimate my ancestral philosophy, okay? Because I'm convinced, tell me that obviously, like I just told you, that I not only have something to offer you by way of hood philosophy, but also by way of reanimating the ancestral philosophy. Because I do believe that it can, in fact, change the world, dog. It's wah philosophy. I do believe that it can change the world, Right. And it could change it for the better. It can may help us make the world the better world that we all desire, you know? And that, obviously, this is only going to be possible with the, const- with the complete destruction of the Western epistemology and the ensuing construction of a new, better philosophy upon which the new, better world we all desire can be built upon, right? So when I talk like epistemic foundations and shit, for those of you who follow along with the podcast, um, I like to, you know, liken it to building a house, right? I like to liken the idea of an epistemic foundation to building a house. And uh, <clears throat> the idea here being is that when you're building a house, obviously you got to start with a very strong foundation because if you don't have a strong foundation, it doesn't matter how beautiful, you know, the house and how ornate the house may be, it's going to come crumbling down because the foundation, the ugly shit that no one ever sees or even considers, for the most part, is the most important part, Okay. Anyways, the point is that the house, the fucking foundation is the most important part of any house, right? And if you don't have a strong foundation, you're such a matter of time before fucking that whole Miley Cyrus shit, dog. I came in like a wrecking ball. In this case, the fucking wrecking ball is the obvious fucking zenith of the Western Christian world, which again is the problem of nihilism, right? And it's just a matter of time before that fucking wrecking ball destroys the whole fucking house, okay? And um, the point then is, is that the foundation that our epistemology is built on, the Western Christian epistemology, it's a fucking terrible foundation, dog. It's been a terrible foundation from the get-go. It's fucking been rotten and decayed. The house is obviously crumbling down now. Just look around and see the fucking global current affairs and you'll see that the old world is slowly being deconstructed and dismantled and a new world for the better or the worse is slowly being rebuilt, this new world order, if you will, right? (laughs) Now, this ain't, again, this ain't just me fucking spitting some bitter outsider shit, homie. This is the entire point of, you know, Nickley's, Nickley? Who the fuck is Nickley? I don't know. Nietzsche's proclamation that God is dead, right? So the point is to build a new world on this decaying foundation, It's you're going to doom it, dog. You're going to doom it to the same cycles that led it to that point in the first place, right? Which would include all of the suffering to which I'm like, nah homie i'm not, I'm not with that, right? The old world is dying and fucking for the better, right? and we have like we're at this critical point in fucking human history where we can either go fucking where we can either zig or we can zag and if we zig on one hand we can we have the ability to reshape the world in a fucking radically new better way. and if we zag, we have the fucking the potential my fucking fear of sliding into one of the most repressive fucking times that have ever existed in the scope of humanity right so this hood philosophy shit then it's it's a forward-looking philosophy in a way homie in that it reaches into the past to help guide us into this future that you know i know me personally and probably you too desire we don't want to go down this technocratic elite fucking globalist fucking world dog we don't okay we 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 don't even want to go down this old Western Christian reductive materialism world anymore. We're done with that. We're moving on to a new, better world, okay? And the only way that we can do so is to inform it with a philosophy that doesn't fucking serve as the, <laughs> as the, as the foundation for the epistemic foundation of the current world that we have now. This ancient Greek philosophy is the foundation of Western Christianity. So it, it only stands to reason that if we're trying to get rid of this Western reductive Christian world— we got to get rid of that which it rests upon, which is the Western Christian, or rather the Western Greek tradition of philosophy. So how do we do that? We replace it with a complete different philosophy to which all these fucking racist academic fucks will say, no, that's not real philosophy, to which obviously I'll say, fuck you, right? Um, anyways, the point is that, that this hood philosophy just one of many potential philosophies, dog, that can, I believe, help do this, Right? And this starts, of course, with picking up the role of Nahua philosophers. Like, if it's fucking influenced by Nahua philosophy, obviously you gotta pick up the role of the people who created the Nahua philosophy, which is the Tlamatini, the Nahua philosophers. And you gotta keep moving it forward, right? Now, it's not the exact Nahua philosophy because I'm not living in the exact Nahua times anymore. I'm living here today in fucking Western Christian world 2022. Fucking January, the late, late January, you know what I mean? Like this is a complete different world than anybody that ever came before us, including Camus, Nietzsche, Sartre and the like, you know what I mean? Let alone our ancestral Mexica philosophers who were 500 years removed from us, you know what I mean? So the whole point then is that we fucking, it, that's just, that's who we are, dog. This, We This is what what we next people are. This is Chicano and Chicana people is who we are. We are a fucking mixture, you know what I mean? We mix the fucking present world that we're living in with the ancestral world of the past and we use their knowledge to help guide us into the future. We reanimate that knowledge to help guide us into the future. You know what I mean? So anyways, as I've mentioned before in previous episodes of the podcast, um, Nahuatl philosophy, it has a completely different start and end point than the Western world. Now, as a quick reminder, uh, the Tlamatini, they took as a point of departure the ephemeral and fragile quality of all that exists from their philosophy, okay? Why? Because in this ephemerality is where the biggest threat to truth uh, resides, uh, the biggest threat to meaning and purpose exists, okay? And that is the lack of truth, because without any sort of fixed truth, as I mentioned before, there is no meaning and purpose that can be had, okay? So this is where the Nahua, uh Tlamatini, this is where their philosophy starts, Okay? And in my personal opinion, like all true spiritual gangsters, we begin first here because we cannot understand how life can have meaning and purpose, let alone claw ourselves out of the pit of nihilistic despair without doing so first. You got to first ask yourself, like, what the fuck is the point of everything that it is that I'm doing to begin with? It's not an easy question to ask. It may not yield comfortable results, but it's the absolute most important question to do, because to, to, to consider, because this is... The most pressing issue is like an innate fucking, it's an innate pressure that most human beings experience, this fucking pressure of meaning and purpose and whatever it is that we're doing with our life, you know what I mean? And the longer it is that this pressure goes unacknowledged, the more and more it builds up to the point where we literally feel like we're going to fucking explode, you know what I mean? So in order to fucking consider this, the Nahua philosophy then, it starts first by posing two questions, homie. The first of which being whether there was, you know, there w- whether there was ever anything really worth saving or uh, uh, striving for, rather here on uh, here on Tlaltecpac. Okay, and the second question was simply, do we perhaps speak any truth? I've mentioned this before. I've mentioned it again. There's a whole podcast dedicated to this particular saying, Azotle in Is there? Is this the only truth on earth? Okay. Now again. This is important because since truth is what gives foundation to all things, this second question leads to two even more urgent problems. And the first of which is whether things and men, like, you know, people, I should say, uh, whether uh, whether we have any real truth or foundation, or are we merely quote-unquote dreamlike? Now, I want to pause here because it's important to note that as far as Nahuatl philosophy is concerned, this particular element is cause for mad tension, the, the question of dream-like statuses in Nahuatl philosophy. So, uh, specifically, what it was meant by them, okay? Because obviously the people who were initially transcribing Nahuatl philosophy, they were fucking uh, into, into you know uh, European languages, they were Christians, bro, obviously. <laughs> and because of that, they operated in a platonic way that not only distinguished between dream and waking consciousness but also between, you know, the quote-unquote real and not real. Now, again, this is a mad complex idea, dog, that, you know, it deserves its own treatment. But, you know, for our sake, it's important to note only today that, you know, as monists, as monists, there is no distinction between anything, right? It's all one, homie, including dreams and waking life. So as a monist, when we talk about, you know, dreamlike, we're not talking about something that doesn't not exist, all right? That's something that doesn't exist. So much as, you know, we are the fleeting experience of this reality that is akin to a dream. So in order to understand this, you got to understand how the Nahua did their philosophy. They did it to what is referred to in Spanish as a uh, 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 floricanto, right? It's basically an aphorism. In Sochi, in, in cuicat is how you would say it in Nahua. And the basic uh, idea is that it's a poem, poetry, aphorisms that help us express and explain the truths, if you will, of reality. Okay. And um <clears throat> so what they say that when they're saying that life is dreamlike, they're using it as a metaphor to explain our existence here on earth. Not that it's not real, so much as that it's fucking fleeting and like a dream it will inevitably come to an end. And like a dream, we struggle sometimes to make sense of it all. And we're you know it's trying to piece it together while it's constantly moving forward to its ultimate destination. Because you know The nature of Teot is constant movement and flux, etc. So like, you know, a dream, theod, or rather like Teot, a dream and life ensuingly, is in a constant state of movement towards the inevitable, what we appear, what we we would take to be as the quote-unquote end, but it's not really the end because there is no death, it's just the transitioning from, you know, this dynamic of life to the other, right? So again, super complex idea, deserves its own fucking treatment, but for now, okay, for this particular episode... It simply implies that truth can, ideally, be real, although it will be subjective, right? Now, it's not going to be subjective in a way that's, you know commonly associated with, in, you, know, in the Western world, and that is with like morality and shit, but you know where they say that what's OK for Americans? are uh, Americans going to have a complete different set of moralities than, you know, people in the Middle East and how dare either one of them fucking try to impose their morality on the other? Although it seems to be a little bit more tilted towards the, uh, the Americans, it, they get the most wrath about, you know, imposing their, uh, their culture and traditions on the Middle East, uh, you know, because obviously that's the current zeitgeist, if you will, the push of history in terms of how cultural affairs are unfolding, right? Everything America bad everything other cultures good irrespective of how seemingly backwards they may be that's the whole point of uh, of uh, subjectivism relativism and it's part of the reason why it gets such a fucking shit rap among people because it's obvious that you know at least intuitively that some cultural practices are perhaps a little bit more advanced if you will than others now this is obviously fucking there's a lot of there's a lot of tension in that statement, right? Because again, who the fuck am I to say which culture has more value and all that kind of shit? Like, yes, I get all of that, okay, but you know, when it comes to shit like, I don't know, man, fucking murder. Some cultures will say this that that does not qualify as murder. That honor, that qualifies as a, as an honor killing. While other cultures will say that does not qualify as murder. That qualifies as a police fucking doing his job. It's just it's it's a complex fucking conversation, right? And again, not the point of this podcast, which is why I'm kind of just skimming through it. But the whole point is that that is not what is happening here with the Nahuatl philosophies, okay? With the Nahuatl philosophy. What they're saying is that rather subjective... What they're saying is that the truth is subjective in that it varies among individuals because each one of us has our own truth that we must discover and live up to. So just to fucking cut quickly to the point, the whole idea is like my truth was to fucking to do this to give my hood philosophy to reach into the past and reanimate my ancestral philosophy and fucking remix it in a way that I would hope is fucking culturally relevant enough to be able to inspire if even the smallest amount of change of you know in in terms of happiness and joy and you know among the people that I, that, that I share this experience with here today you know what i mean that was my truth i had to discover that and live up to that on my own you know what i mean You yourself, you have your own truth, and it's going to vary wildly among each and every single person on this planet. We all have a purpose. We all have a meaning, and that meaning can be used to fucking, it could be used for good. It could be, well, quote, unquote, good or quote, unquote, bad. It's, you know, again, there is no good and evil in not philosophy. So in this particular sense, we're framing it in terms of building new worlds. Like, we want the new world because we're the ones fucking suffering at the expense of the old world. But the people who are benefiting from the old world, they obviously don't want a new world. They want to maintain the current world. So it would be good for us to rid this new world, obviously, because we are the ones fucking suffering at its, at its expense. But it would in turn be bad for the people who benefit from the old world and they don't want that to happen. So they're just constantly, it's a, it's a dance, if you will, trying to harness the energy in one way to the other. And right now they got us, we're down bad, homie, we're down bad. You know, they got all the momentum, they got all the energy helping them continue along the old world. But again, the point of hood philosophy is to try to divert some of that energy and try to move it in such a way where we help build a new, better world that would hopefully be in our favor, right? So uh, this truth then that the Nahua philosophy is speaking about, of course, that's, that's our purpose for being here, homie. Why are we here? You know, what is our purpose? Only in answering these questions can we live a life of meaning. And ideally, we can, uh, only in doing so can we claw our way out of this Western, reductive, nihilistic pit of despair that wants us to believe that we ain't shit more than insignificant particles floating through fucking a mechanical infinite universe. You know what I mean? Hence why, you know, for humans here on Earth without a well-formed heart and face, the question of our own truth is the most pressing. This, this pursuit, dog, is of mad importance as it embraces our reality. It embraces our origin. It embraces our personality. And perhaps most importantly, it embraces our final destiny here on Tlal'tik Pak. So again, this is why, you know, <laughs> the problem of how to answer this question is of central importance to Nahuatl, dog. For the Tlamatini, the religious approach that I mentioned before, the philosophical suicide and shit, this was rejected by most, okay? As the quote-unquote giver of life or this whole it's God's will shit, it's <laughs> always appeared to be inex- inexorably connected to this view. This view of like, what's the whole meaning and purpose of, of life? There's a grander entity out there that'll give meaning and purpose for you. Like, uh the Nahuatl, most of them, they were... They, I, don't wanna, I say most of them because I don't want to centralize. I don't fucking, you know, you have to talk to every single one, and that's obviously not a possibility, but it just doesn't vibe with their fucking with their philosophy though because uh, it, this idea of like oh it's god's will you know what i mean the giver of life that that implies some sort of teleology and some sort of fucking agency which they all has it, it 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 doesn't have either as i mentioned before they is a non-agentive non-teleological entity it is just the unfolding of reality you know what i mean that can be influenced for you know a particular benefit or other but ultimately it's not you know actively going out of its way that's western christian european thinking okay so that particular uh, response to the whole meaning—the question of the meaning and purpose of life—was rejected, right, by most Um, And reason, to be fair, <laughs> it did not fare much better. For if everything on Earth changes and is dreamlike, the ultimate question of whether truth can be had on Earth it remains unanswerable. There's just there's no read there's no point in trying to address this in a in a, in a, in a I don't want to say logical or rational way because I'm not trying to imply that the Nahuatl were irrational or illogical. Like, that's fucking nonsense. They were obviously highly critically fucking adept. Okay. They had the ability to think critically, logically, rationally. The point that the fact that they even had to emphasize this is fucking disgusting to me. Right. Because it's just like it feeds into this idea that we were somehow primitive. Like, no, that's not why they rejected it. They were, again, you know, highly advanced scientists. They fucking knew what the fuck was up they rejected it because they just didn't feel that it was a a viable way to answer the question of why we are here in a world that is in a constant state of flux. Okay. So in addressing this issue, there's three prominent issues that emerged. Okay. As a progression, it seems. And the first is that of a hedonism that is born of intellectual despair. And this is is where I feel that Camus just kind of, that's where he stopped at, right? When it comes to this whole fucking question of rebelling against the absurd, that, that's where I feel that he basically, he, that's where he's like, okay, this is it, like I'm good here, right? But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. And uh, uh, that's just something that I feel it's one of the many things that his Camusian philosophy lacks, right? The second uh, point that, you know, the answer of the three that emerged from the Nawa was was a form of intuitionism, okay? Through which poetry and the use of metaphor as a means by which to express the reality that was revealed to man by Teot figured prominently, right? When I say this intuitionism, again, this is completely against the Western tradition of philosophy who would never accept intuition as a logical fucking, uh, as logical, literally, in terms of logic, right, as a logical justification for the foundation of their epistemology. But this Nahua philosophy, it's obviously not Western or Christian. They're saying, yes, intuitionism can, in fact, serve to reveal to us many truths. not, by way of rationality, but by way of immersing oneself into existence. There is only one, like, again, I got to continue to emphasize this when it comes to teot, when it comes to reality as a whole, there is only one thing, and that is teot. Okay? So when we say this, uh, 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 immersing ourselves intuitively, what it's saying is allow the reality to be expressed to and through you, essentially, right? Which is the whole act of the floricanto, the fucking song and flower, the fucking inso chit in inquicat, okay? Now, this is where we mean that it's revealed to us, reality is revealed to us by teot, okay? And last but not least, there was a theory of man as both a face and a heart, okay? Now, what that means is that the supreme, the supreme ideal should be the development. Of a wise countenance and a heart as firm as a rock. Our heart is what directs us. It is what guides us. It is literally our life's fucking source. It is the fucking you know what I mean. The, I've, I've mentioned before in previous podcasts the role of importance the heart plays and not what thought. Okay. So the goal then is to make the heart strong because it is what's going to lead us through this slippery journey of life. Antlartik pak. Okay. Now this particular view. It perceives man, it perceives us as a a beggar of sorts, okay? As beggars who are in need of light. Uh, And by light, obviously, it is meant here as a truth, right? Now, according to this view, both could be found along the path of Insochit Inquikat, or the flower in song, right? Basically, what happens is that this flower in song, they place the sacred energy of Teot in man's heart making it true and causing it to create art, right? Or more specifically, a life of art. Now, obviously, if you've followed along this podcast long enough, or maybe you yourself are just versed in Nietzschean philosophy, you'll know that I've mentioned before how I believe that <laughs> Nietzsche is like the first fucking Western tradition of philosophy to break through the fucking ideology of the Western Christian world and peep into that of the fucking Nahuatl philosophers, Right. The Nawa philosophers obviously predated Nietzsche by thousands of years. And because of that, I say that Nietzsche is a Nawa philosopher and not the other way around. But the point is, if you're familiar with Nietzsche on your own independently or through this podcast, you'll know that I've mentioned before how his fucking ethics, if you will, are an aesthetics. Right. And what I mean by that is the whole point of making life a work of art. Like live your life as it were a work as if you were the creator of a work of art so that the process of creating the work of art as well as the actual work of art is a reflection of you as a person, right? This is fucking word for word, bar for bar what the Nahua philosophers are saying because again, there is only one in monism. So Teot is literally us. We are Teot. The sacred energy manifested itself and we are painting Teot on the fucking into reality if you will. The re- reality is the uh, the grand cosmos is the fucking the, the reality upon which Teot itself is painted on. They'll say that the reality, the grand cosmos, is a a, 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 a fucking a mostly, it's a blank slate of paper, and they're all is just painting the fucking uh, the the grand cosmos of reality on this blank paper. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what <laughs> that's the idea that they're getting at here. We ourselves, we are artists, we are creators, we are fucking you know we are painters of life, and the act and and the process thereof, as well as the end product, is indicative of who and how we are as people. Okay, now in terms of the actual works of art that we've created, the, I don't want to say better or the greater, <laughs> because that implies some sort of hierarchy, but I would say instead more well-ordered, the more aesthetically pleasing uh, in terms of this Nahua philosophy, I guess, in terms of uh, aesthetically ap- uh, appealing, I guess, right, is the, is the best way I can try to convey this idea. In terms of Nahua philosophy is uh, the, the more concentrated of sacred energy of Deot it would be right so for instance i have spoken before about the prominence of like beads and stones okay and uh, and how they represent the ultimate concentration of teot, especially the jade ones right and so the idea then is to cultivate the same within our hearts right the more you know the jade stones specifically they are highly concentrated of teot. and because of that they're sh- they're supremely fucking uh, sacred the goal then is to do the same with our hearts by Harnessing the sacred energy of Teot and making strong our heart in such a way where it will be just as sacred and powerful as a jade stone. Okay. So <laughs> it should go without saying, however, that you know, cultivating this power, cultivating this power is not a fucking easy process, Imaji. Like it's just, it's not difficult. I mean, rather, it is not easy. It's supremely difficult. And uh, so difficult, obviously, that for many people it's kind of just like, ugh, I bother, it, right? But the whole point of bothering is that that is the battle. That is the battle of life. Like the battle is only to make ourselves stronger, our hearts stronger, our faces stronger, our countenance stronger, right? Anyways, in this view, again, the artist appears as a person with the sacred concentration in their heart. One who is in possession of the truth and by proxy, the very roots of being. Notice the word I use here to emphasize roots. And that is because the whole point is to try to establish roots in waffle philosophy on a slippery earth so that we can fucking have a firm foundation of what it is and why it is that we are here, okay? We do so by having this deified heart, okay? And that we converse with this deified heart in such a way that, you know, it may give to us the divine quality to things, the divine quality of existence. Our heart will be that which provides us this fucking divine quality of existence, Okay? So again, (laughs) when I talk about Nietzsche as a Nawa, this is exactly along the lines of what I mean, dog. This is clearly an aesthetic approach to life, right? Much like Nietzsche's, with a critical distinction, again, being that it's predated him by thousands of years, homie. Anyways, moving on. The Tlamatini are going to, they taught, okay, that, and in turn, they educated others to awaken, if you will, not if you will, this is the actual quote, it's, to awaken their own window to the universe, our heart, okay? Uh, to awaken in their hearts a thirst for the light, the truth, and the creative power of Teon. And with this move, we begin to see humans actively, okay? As in, again, In Sochi or the flower and song, right? This is again, a f- the best way that I can explain this fucking flower and song, In Sochi Inquicat, is by this famous Nawa aphorism that, you know, that, that asks, Who am I? As a bird I fly about, I sing of flowers, I compose songs, butterflies of songs, let them burst forth from my soul. And I scare quote, soul, because there's no soul in Nawa thought, but the idea, of my inner essence, okay? Let my heart be delighted with them. The basic idea of this poem is that <laughs> by allowing the butterflies of song to be born within us, we can begin to express that which is true on earth, right? Now, given the subjective nature of truth in thought this, of course, is expressed in different forms that varies among individuals, all with the same intention, homie, discovering one's own truth and by proxy, that of existence, because it's the same fucking thing. The truth about reality is the truth about our being, because in monism, I cannot continue to emphasize this, there is but one, okay? So again, Nawa philosophy, it revolves around an aesthetic conception of the universe and life, homie, because, you know, art specifically made things divine, and only the divine is true. And to know this truth, was to understand the hidden many the hidden meanings of things by way, again, of insochit in krikat, the power emanating from the deified heart. This, of course, essentially is akin to the role that meditation plays in many Eastern philosophies. Now, one of the reasons Eastern thought isn't plagued with many of the nihilistic lamentations of Western thought is because. You know, while many of these Eastern philosophies are dualist in nature, they believe that a symbiosis can be had by way of meditating. Now, this is obviously a very, very simplistic reading of this of this issue. <laughs> it's far more complex than this. But the basic idea is that we, you know, as humans, can become one with reality by meditating. Now, obviously, there's mad differences between Eastern thought and Nawa thought chief among which being that the Nawa, I cannot continue to emphasize this enough, are monist, but the general principle in terms of the role of meditating, it, it kind of remains, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a clumsy metaphor, but it works, okay? And uh, instead of meditating, however, what we're doing is that we are channeling as opposed to becoming one with um, the sacred energy of Teot. Because again, <laughs> you know, be, uh, 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 becoming one with implies some sort of division, right? So instead we are channeling Meditating, so you know, it's not like meditating, okay? Because we're not becoming one with because the sacred energy of through of the, I should say, you know, uh, it, it implies a monism. And the whole point then is that we're gonna challenge it. We're gonna we're ch- challenge, channel, channel it. Sorry, okay. We're gonna learn to channel this sacred energy of the, you know, through our own subjective song and flower. Every single person on this earth has their own meaning for why we're here. The goal is to find that uh, that meaning and purpose. And then in turn, learn to channel it, learn to channel the sacred uh, uh, energy of the Earth through our own personal song and flower. So for me, you know, this podcast is one of the ways in which I do so. Doing jiu-jitsu, as I've spoken about before in the past, it's one of the ways that I do so. There's plenty of ways that, that you know, it can be done even among individuals. And the idea is that the goal is to perfect it in such a way that we become master artists who create these stunning works of art, including with our lives. You know what I mean? That this is the part, this is the, the process of painting these fucking the, the 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 stunning work of art, of ordering in a very well-way uh, our lives, okay? That lead them to become these stunning works of art that will, in turn, in at least Nawata, be considered as such because again, they are better ordered than those created by less experienced artists, less experienced here being those who have never learned to channel the fucking insochi kuikat. Maybe they have a natural proclivi- uh, proclivity towards it, but they never fucking developed it in such a way that enabled them to become master artists, as opposed to those who, you know, we go out of our way to not only discover it, but to battle, if you will, every day to, uh, you know, uh, uh, perfect it in such a way that, you know, makes us these better fucking well-ordered artists, Okay. And as such, we create these works of art that, you know, it's like a simultaneous process where not only do we create these works of art, but we ourselves become so deified where, you know, that we have such a high concentration of Teot where, you know, we ourselves are the works of art. And because of this, they're, you know, well-ordered and, you know, uh, uh, in, in such a way where they are like the jade stones or these magnificent pyramids uh, considered to be sacred because they are or more true even because of how well-ordered and thus aesthetically pleasing they are, right? Now, this in turn is going to reveal another distinction between Eastern thought, and that is that unlike the passive act of meditating, insochit in is an active process. You know, you're not just fucking sitting there. I'm not trying to bash meditation, though. Meditation is great if that's your thing. Like, fucking all your... Do your thing, homie, okay? But one of the reasons, me personally, why I could never just... I mean, I, you know... I try, but I just cannot. I am, I cannot sit and fucking, I just cannot sit there and do nothing. You know what I mean? Now, to the fucking meditations credit, they'll say that that part of that is, that's my fault. I mean, I need to learn to be able to fucking, uh, be able to sit peacefully with my thoughts and my, you know, and all that kind of shit, to which I say, I get that as well. But what I'm saying is that me personally, I find the peace that, you know, I am told those who meditate, you know, have by way of active processes like jujitsu. When I'm fucking sitting there trying to choke a motherfucker or avoid avoid being choked out myself, I'm at peace. I'll have like this fucking Zen-like moment, like where nothing in life matters except that particular moment. And obviously that is an active process. So this is what I mean by the distinction between this fucking two thoughts. And that is that consider how if Teot is in a constant state of movement, right? It stands to reason that the act of channeling teot is the same. It's got it's an active process. You know what I mean? <clears throat> now, excuse me. This leads us to the importance of well-ordered lives in Nawa philosophy and how in turn their ethics were centered around this idea, okay? Because again, the better ordered one one's personal life is ultimately, this implies the closer it is to the sacred on the spectrum. The more better well-ordered it is, that the more it enables you to fucking create these beautiful works of art, right? that in turn revealed to us the truth of reality now it is because of this that the Nahua Tlamatini ultimately sought to give wise faces to human beings okay it is why they sought to awaken in them the desire to steal flowers and songs quote unquote right it was the tlamatini's duty to place a mirror before the people to endow them with wisdom so that the face might be assumed and developed. This is the whole role of the fucking obsidian mirror and Tezcatlipoca and the sacred jaguar and all that kind of shit. You know what I mean? Um, uh, The fact that the Lamatini felt it necessary to do so implies that, you know, it implies the Nahuatl belief that humans, we come to this earth faceless. And by that, we mean born anonymous and without an identity. And inherent in this was the understanding that as, you know, creatures, again, going back to the very beginning of the episode, as creatures who crave meaning, we would ultimately inherently be on an eager quest for a face, for meaning, right? For self-identification. So much so that we would willingly plunge ourselves or perhaps unwillingly or unwittingly, I should say, willingly or perhaps unwittingly, plunge ourselves into a questionable existence on classictic pack just to have one. This is again the whole point of the philosophical suicide. I don't need Christianity to help fucking assuage the pain inherent with the Western uh, the, the the Zenith point of the reductive Western Christian world. I don't need that that's philosophical suicide. I don't need to plunge myself into a fucking anything that gives me comfort uh, because you know, for the sake of appeasing this, the this, this, this desire that we have to, for, for uh, you know, purpose, just to fucking quell that desire, right? I don't need that. That's gonna ultimately do nothing more than plunge me into a questionable existence here on Platik. But Christianity is a very passive philosophy, as we discussed previously with the Nietzschean episode. It's not an active fucking philosophy that embraces the will to power or embraces the fucking the constant flux of not na- of theod, if you will. Right? I don't need that. Okay, what I need instead is to help find my purpose and then just direct my energy in such a way that helps manifest that purpose in my life, right? I don't need to surrender our hearts to all things, to quote the famous fucking Nahuac quote, uh, a poem by Nezahual Coyote. right? I don't need to give my hearts to all things, to lead it nowhere, okay? Because in doing so, we are in fact losing it. Namely because on earth, It is difficult to inspire to anything of significance, right? Hence, again, the importance of ordering our lives in such a way that would allow us to do so, right? Now, because of this, we find ourselves in a precarious position as creatures that are born without an identity, right? Because, again, we are full of these unsatisfied desires but again, we lack a definite goal here on Tlaltik Park. That's the whole point that I'm trying to make with this Kamuzian rolling the fucking boulder up and down the hill shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're rolling the boulder up and down, but for what purpose? For what meaning? Just to simply rebel against the absurdity of existence? Nah, homie. The boulder that I'm rolling every single day is fucking trying to develop this hood philosophy to share with the world. You know what I mean? In hopes that doing so, I'm trying to be of service to people. You know what I mean? And this is the way that I feel as though I can potentially be so. But I can only fucking do this if my life is well-ordered in such a way that that enables me to sit down and fucking write this philosophy. Sit down and write these fucking podcast episodes. Sit down and read this shit. Sit down and intellectualize it. Sit down and podcast it. Sit down and chop up the clips that allow me to share with you on social media and shit. You know what I mean? That's not possible if my life is fucking chaos and I'm fucking out fucking, you know, you know just partying every single night because I wake up hungover. I don't want to fucking do it. It's like, it's complex. Your life's got to be well-ordered and structured in such a way that enables you to do so. And that's just mean. Like, you have your shit too. You know what I mean? And the the, the, the better ordered your life is, the more enabled you are to be able to manifest that purpose, okay? The more, you know, (laughs) uh, you're able to fucking solidify and deify your heart and strengthen the countenance of your face. You know what I mean? And thus, in doing so, Escape slowly but surely from this fucking pit of nihilistic despair inherent in the Western Christian world. So, when it comes to this fucking hood philosophy shit, dog, an answer to the question then, because of all, of all you know, framing it in terms of everything I just said, an answer to the question of, well, why study philosophy? The answer is simple, homie, to help us develop a heart and a face, a strong heart and a face, so that we're not fucking stuck in this pit of nihilistic despair, right? so that we can escape from it, if you will. Now, uh, with this philosophical foundation, just in wrapping shit up, okay? So I'm almost to the end here. Uh, With this philosophical foundation laid, it's easy to see how it can in turn be applied in a practical manner. So take, for instance, again, the problem of suicide. In the Western world, Camus tells us, again, that it's the only question of importance in philosophy. This hood philosophy shit dog, like I'm picking up on that very idea. And I'm expanding on it, again, by examining the ways that we got to this point in further detail. And one of those ways, unquestionably, is the alienation many of us feel for our inability to find comforting answers to the massive questions in life through the, uh, that are given to us through the Western world, right? Again, if you follow this fucking chain of rational outcomes through this Western Christian world you get to where Nietzsche and Camus got to. This whole God is dead and wants to kill, you know, uh, God, is de- <laughs> uh, God is dead and now the world is split into two kinds of people because of it. Those who want to kill themselves because of the unhappiness that the death of God causes and those who want to kill other people also because of the unhappiness that this death of God causes. That's where Nietzsche and Camus get to, okay? It's pretty simple. And as I mentioned before, these answers and all the other ones that are offered by the Western world, they're unsatisfying, dog. They're unsatisfying to me they're unsatisfying to many people on this earth that I've at least been able to see by way of social media, okay? Which is part of the impetus for this hood philosophy shit, dog, to move beyond the stranglehold that this fucking Western tradition of philosophy has on us so that we can, again, create new, better shit that doesn't fucking inherit all the problems of this old world, dog. Again, this is a small part of what it takes to build a new, better world, right? Uh, this hood philosophy shit, but I've accepted this role and I'm okay with it, okay? Because I truly do believe that if we want to build this new, better world, again, as I've been emphasizing, we cannot continue to export or import rather the shit from the old world. And that includes the people, all right? And if you ask me personally, people like myself, definitely, uh, we're very unhappy. We're, you know, uh, very unfulfilled. So if we're just going to import these old people into this new world, it's just going to lead to the same shit. So the goal then with this hood philosophy shit is to help inspire, you know, inspire us, me personally for sure, right? And I share it with you in hopes that it'll do the same, us to live happier, more fulfilled lives. Obviously, these answers weren't available in the Western world, so we look to the fucking my ancestral world instead, and we use that philosophy to help us do so, right? Because again, this Western world, dog, it's just not going to produce the people that are necessary to build this new, better world that we all envision, Okay. But I am convinced that Nawa and Hood philosophy can because both offer this inclusivity and applicability that are just, they're not, they're simply not found in the Western tradition, Doug. Right? What I mean by that is that, you know, by discovering these Nawa philosophers and their philosophies, you know, I personally feel that we discover an openness and an understanding and perhaps most importantly, a solace that we've all pined for. And if it's not in, if it's not in the form of like actual hard and true answers, I believe it's in the process of trying to discover them. The battle again, the, the constant battle, right, uh, of trying to discover them without having to simply resort to some sort of dogmatism like Christianity, philosophical suicide, right? As this clearly, it's never been an option for people like you and I, let alone a solution. Dog. Come on now, okay. So, in, you know, in engaging in this fucking process of we find the root of these problems that we've obsessed over our entire lives and how they have been attempted to be reconciled throughout the course of history and how that process inevitably leads us to where we are today. I firmly believe simply, I guess if, <laughs> I'm just going to keep it fucking simple and, you know, in order to wrap this bitch up. That through his ancestral Nahuatl philosophy, and my hood philosophy shit too, I'm not going to sell myself short, okay? That it's going to help us, dog. It can help us. It's helped me, which is why I'm not going to sell myself short. Rid myself of the fucking, you know, not just the people that have kept me from, you know, becoming a better version of myself. Again, going back to that whole ostracization inherent with leaving the Western world. But also realize, help me realize that. The people in the Western world in general, dog, was is, is nothing more than like a psychic vampire, if you will, that was holding me down, bro. Uh, and once I once I was able to accept this, it helped me. It helped me. I guess, in a way, not to sound so fucking. Uh, just, I don't know. It's just weird for me to say, but I guess gratuitous, I'm not trying to sound fucking like overinflated here, but I'm just saying like it helped find myself, dog. It helped to discover the things that I truly love and value as opposed to the things that, you know, I was socialized to believe that I loved and valued, okay? Or the ones that I was told that were correct simply because of the particular culture that I was born into. You know, like that shit is arbitrary, homie, and it could have just as easily been any other way, going back to the whole relativism shit that I was talking about earlier. So, uh, the point here being is that when we step back and examine that self that we've been socialized with, that, that socialized self, uh, and we realize that it's not really our true self, bro. You know, this, this, this realization, it creates the opening necessary for us to recover our existence, okay? And, you know, in peeling back, if you will, the primary veil we reveal the alienation that is born of this divided self, this self that feels unhappy with the self that we were socialized with. You know what I mean? And is pining for an answer and willing to give our heart and you know our face to anything that provides an answer. Like, no, that is not good. Don't just give your heart away, God Use this opportunity to fucking direct it towards you know, the manifesting the purpose that it is that you are here for. It's gonna be difficult to find, it's gonna be difficult to do, but in doing so, you're gonna create the fucking the the ability to learn to channel uh by way of insochi in this fucking sacred energy of teot that will reveal to us all the answers that it is that we have been pining for and give us the roots necessary to establish some form of existence of meaning here on Tlat, right? The slippery earth of Tlakbak. Right, And I'm convinced, homie, that it is from here where our discourse into genuine happiness can truly begin. Not a moment sooner, only after having gone through all this process. And yeah, I guess this is as good a point as any to go ahead and wrap this bitch up. Quite a lengthy podcast for today, and I do appreciate you sticking with me through the very to the very end. And um, yeah, I'll see you all next time. And until then, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Peace.